Hello, I'm Grayson Brulte, and welcome to a special recap episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Today, I'm joined by Justin Falls, Strategic Communications Manager, SAE International, to take a look at the pivotal conversations throughout the year. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. During this recap episode, we will discuss some of the most overlooked elements in innovation that are crucial to the future mobility, such as the coatings that protect our world, the safety and infrastructure that's the foundation of autonomy, and the diverse teams developing the technology of tomorrow. And away we go. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks for having me back, Grayson. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about our uh, year in review for 2020. I'm excited to have you on again this week. For those of you that missed last week's episode, we started the conversation talking about how companies are solving the world's biggest challenges and navigating a path to profitability. This week, we're getting into the technical side with engineers behind it, because engineering is cool, and we're going to have a really great conversation about building the world of tomorrow. And one of these really great conversations that we're very thankful that you were able to set up with us was with Colin Monroe, Senior Scientist Mobility at PPG Industries. And Colm said, you know, there's something here that watching paint is actually not boring. It's really cool watching it dry. You, how in, did you uncover this? Because it was a really interesting conversation. So I've had a long history dating back probably almost 10 years with PPG, working with them in a previous life. And just knowing all the industries that uh, PPG touches from you know, you think of just interiors in your house, but it, it goes so far beyond that to commercial vehicles, to automotive, to aerospace, to industrial equipment. And it's uh, it's just fascinating. The technical specifics that go into just one thing of coding on each of them, and they're so unique and different. And it was just, I was so glad we were able to get them on board for this episode. We learned a lot and I'd love to play you a clip from our interview with uh, Colm. Uh, please roll the clip. Would you be so kind to kind of share a high-level overview of the industry and its impact on society? Oh, yeah, I would, I would absolutely love to. Uh, you know, for me, you mentioned earlier that, you know, for me, coatings are kind of a fascinating topic. Um, paint, I feel, has developed this kind of bad rap. I, I frequently hear the phrase, you know, it's about as exciting as watching paint dry. And I love watching paint dry because there's so much that we can learn from that. Um, and, you know, paint has become extremely ubiquitous. We don't always recognize, but paints and coatings absolutely surround us pretty much every point of the, of the day, um, wherever we are in the world. Um, sometimes we recognize it, sometimes we don't. But, um, you know, they, they, they're utilized in a lot of different ways to provide uh, decoration. You know, that's something that we certainly recognize as... As I look at you know the walls around me, uh, there's obviously some choices that I've made for color or finish from a decorative perspective. Another big part of the job that coatings do on, on a broad range of different applications is protection. Um, things like protecting metal structures from rusting. So that could be your car, it could be an aircraft, um, it could be a building structure, um, a lot of different places where that's gonna be important. And then one of the areas that, you know, continues to really excite me because it's just expanding so, so greatly um, is that coatings are bringing a variety of different functionalizations. So, you know, different functions beyond decoration and protection that, that we sometimes don't even recognize are there, but make our lives a little bit better. So, you know, just as an example, I have my cell phone sitting in front of me. 
and this particular cell phone, I really like the way that it feels when I touch it. You know, my finger glides very smoothly over the touch surface. The touch surface works because of coatings. It doesn't scratch because of coatings. That nice feel that gives me the pleasure when I'm working with it is because of coatings. So these are some aspects of functionality that when you look at it, you don't see it. You don't necessarily see there's a coating there. Uh, and more and more that surrounds us and we just... If it's doing its job well, you don't even recognize that it's there. Callum brings up the great point about functionality and, and not recognizing that it's not there. And in that during that interview, he talked about having the coatings on the batteries. And if you didn't have the proper coating, your electric vehicle is not going to happen. And it's just that incredible, let's call it that piping, like kind of the fiber coming to your house where you don't, you don't really even think about it. And another conversation we had was with Mark Wheeler, the co-founder and CTO of DeepMap. And he talked all about how you cannot achieve SAE level four, level five autonomous driving without a map. And it's really incredible how all this technology is being engineered behind the scenes. It's having an impact on our life. What are you seeing from your perspective of all these technologies that are kind of living, say, below the surface that are having all this incredible impact that are allowing engineers to innovate and build products and let's say, let's call it a platform. Yeah. And, and from an SAE perspective, you know, we engage nearly you know, 200,000 engineers, technical experts, volunteers as part of our programs and events. You know, the, that's the one thing we're really looking to expand is, is engaging with those, as you said, you know, below the surface individuals who maybe they're not the ones you think of off the top of your head, but what they're doing is so absolutely instrumental from the mapping to the codings uh, and everywhere in between that's not your standard, typical people you think of when you think of automotive or aerospace or commercial vehicles. That's a brilliant point. And a lot of individuals necessarily don't think about the charging infrastructure for electric vehicles, for example. Well, look at the vehicles. Can well, no, you have to charge it. And mm -hmm. then you have to have the plug, which we SAE is working on the standards for the plugs. And then you also have to have the grid. Can the grid take it if, it, let's say, everybody in your neighborhood decided to charge a vehicle at the same time? And that brings us to a really great conversation that we have with Rob Grant, who's the Vice President of Global Government Affairs at Cruise, who just uh, talked deeply about electrical infrastructure. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Please, please roll that clip. When you're looking at Cruise to build out your all-electric fleet, are you looking into the backhaul capacity? So we are, um, and, and we're doing some really interesting things. So um, about a month ago, we announced that uh, since the end of last year, all of our uh, source for our energy um, is 100% renewable. So we're getting most, if not all of our energy from solar power plants. Um, and I, I shouldn't call them plants, they're, they're it's solar powered, but it's really interesting where it's coming from. So we're getting a lot of it from the Central Valley and from um, Southern uh, California, right outside of Los Angeles. And where we're getting it from is mostly a bunch of schools uh, out there that have uh, you know put up solar panels and are collecting energy all day long. And we're buying it from there. I think I think our estimate was so far this year we've we've um, put about a, uh, gotten about a million dollars worth of uh, energy from those solar panels. Um, so we are looking at 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 uh, the issue of backhaul. Where are we sourcing our energy? Um, how much do we need? So this is a really interesting challenge for us. Um, so right now in the city of San Francisco, we own all of our chargers, and what that means is about. 50% of all of the DC fast chargers in the city of San Francisco are cruise owned. Wow. Um, and so, uh, you know, we are really invested in uh, electric infrastructure and how it's sourced. Um, 
it's one of our bigger challenges uh, as we think about how to scale and where to scale. Right. I think about Florida as an example. Uh, you know, Miami uh, be a wonderful city to 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 bring crews to. But how does um, electrification work in Miami? Uh, you've got you got different hazards down there. You got flooding. You have heavy rain. Um, what does that look like with with Florida Power? Um, and th- these are some of the things that we work on in advance. Uh, so we're working on them right now, even though we might be there for a few years. Um, but it's a really interesting challenge, uh, and it's one again where I think federal leadership can really help. Right? If we make electrification a priority and infrastructure a priority, I think everybody benefits from it. And then secondly, you know, another thing that we're trying to get across uh, to legislators, and now I'm putting on my policy hat, um, is look, right now EV charging infrastructure and credits and incentives, they all go to personal use. Um, Why don't we think a little bit more expansively, right? We're about to do something where we can make uh, electric vehicles available to everybody uh, without ownership. Um, Some of that incentive and, and some of that support uh, could be used to ensure that um, what we're trying to do is built out in a, in a great way, in a resilient way, and in an accessible way for everybody. So that, you know, when we're serving all those people who don't have access to an EV, uh, which are generally not the people that can go out and buy a Tesla or a Taycan, right, um, uh, that they their needs are met. Um, and so we're, we're, we're working on those issues with, with some of the legislatures as well. Rob brings up the valid point of electrical infrastructure. We talked about it briefly before. Is that the most undervalued part of electrification and then eventually into automation where companies like Cruise are looking at it, but the majority of the industry is not talking about it. It's not bubbling up. It's not on the, it's not on TechCrunch. It's not on all these major outlets. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because you you have this incredible grasp of the media and all these different trends that are bubbling up from being inside of SAE and all your deep media relationships. Does this just not bubbling up? And if it's not, why do you think that is? I think you're seeing it bubble up a little bit more, but but I think it's it's one of those topics that's really below the surface. You know, we don't want to see how our steaks are made or our you know our, our food is made. We want to we want it to be there and and ready and available. It's not the kind of that sexy part of the technology, but it's so absolutely important. And I know SAE has a lot of standards committees really focusing on all facets of electric vehicle charging. And, you know, I think that as as that becomes more consistent, reliable, efficient, the whole, you know, the whole grid becomes more built out. The positive for that is just a, you know, it makes it more appealing, the, the technology more appealing for ownership, for uh, users, so ultimately, as long as that back end part of this whole piece of the technology is, is getting completed, I, I, I kind of think people would rather just see the end result and see how great it can be at the end. You bring up a valid point. Do you think when we get to the point where as companies like Cruz focus on the fleet and they build out the electrification, that it starts to eliminate range anxiety where they know, okay, there's an electric charging station on every block, very similar to a gas station. Does that start to relieve the whole notion of range anxiety? I think it does. And I think the some of the work that I know SAE is doing from a standards perspective as, as far as you know electric uh, vehicle charging, especially the, the new and more wireless electric vehicle charging, once it becomes that consistency where you know, okay, I don't have to look for a particular brand of charger. I know I can go out similar to, as you mentioned, you know, a gas station. You know, if you go to any gas station out there with your standard vehicle, 
if you put gas in your vehicle, it's going to power your vehicle forward. So I think as that becomes more and more consistent, it's something you see, you recognize, and you know whatever you go to is going to get your vehicle charged, that's gonna really eliminate, as you said, that that range anxiety. And then it's gonna increase the adoption and it's gonna eliminate the the aspect of if you own or lease the electric vehicle, but it's also gonna eliminate the aspect if you're in a self-driving car that's electric, okay, I'm worried about this thing if it's going to drive me safely. I'm worried about if it has enough gas. It's, it eliminates that problem. So it allows the engineers to focus on solving the problem of SAE level four, which is a very complex, hard problem to solve. It brings me to one of my favorite interviews uh, that we did of the year with Brian Selesky, the co-founder and CEO of Argo AI. It was brilliant. It was different. It was fun. And i love to share that clip with you and get your opinion. Please roll the clip. What do you look for when you're hiring an individual uh, to join Argo? Yeah, we want team players. They, they need to have the hard skills, of course, but also the intangibles are, you know, want people who want to stick with it. Um, this is a really hard problem. It's, it's easy to get um, fatigued on, on working on it. Uh, you know, we want people who are, are very mission-driven and that are excited about the safety benefits, who are excited about uh, the good things that we can do for cities. Um, in addition to all of the, the, the technical skills that, that we look for. And, you know, one of the things, Grayson, I think is a, is a misnomer is that this industry is only hiring computer scientists. Um, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. We hire such a diverse group of people, people from all walks of life. Um, you know, it turns out a lot of the folks that drive our cars are test specialists um, who uh, are safety drivers. They're fantastic at what they do. Many of them are musicians by night. <laughs> Um, That's awesome. Yeah, uh, we we have um, we have a, a great crew of people who staff uh, all sorts of positions in the company that are in in operational type of roles, um, whether it be coordinating mapping, building maps, um, you know, folks that have like really great spatial awareness that that you know uh, see see the world in a really unique way that are like particularly suited to doing um, to doing mapping. Uh, I, I'm just so proud of the whole team. Uh, we've got technicians who are just master technicians, understand everything about the vehicle from top to bottom, but also are acquiring skills in how to service an autonomous vehicle with all of the electronics and uh, software on it. So, you know, this is a this is an industry that is that is hiring a ton of people, that is creating a whole landscape of new jobs, um, and and I just think that's a that's an essential element that I think a lot of people don't realize. Jobs are, are key to this technology to work. Please play the clip with Mark Wheeler, co-founder and CTO of DeepMap, please. Why do you feel that HD maps are the missing piece of, of the puzzle to solve full self-driving? So in, in the end, all the main players in L4 driving you know, rely pretty heavily on HD maps. And there's, there's a reason. Fundamentally, the cars moving around in real time, having to understand things and make decisions at a very short time period. Understanding goes much more than pattern recognition and things like this. There's gotta be a deeper level of understanding and maps actually provide that. So if you think about all the things that the, the self-driving car has to do in real time, it has to ask a lot of questions about the world. And those answers have to be very, very reliable and precise and answered immediately. And there's not a lot of room for guessing if you have a robot that's controlling, you know, basically your life. Uh, it has your life in, in its hands. So uh, HD maps solve a lot of those problems. HD maps can answer those problems in real time. It can answer them very reliably, much more reliably than any perception system could. But the other thing is you can't see everything that you need to know 
Often there's things obstructed. Sometimes there's things that are just disappeared. And then there's sensors making mistakes. And then there's perception making mistakes. So maps actually can solve that at, at a much higher level of reliability and safety. The other thing is maps can look around corners. It can look t 10 seconds into the future. So all the planning and everything that goes on, it provides a lot of benefits which make self-driving tractable. And that's, that's a big point. If you want to get to a point where you can have the driver, the human driver, take their eyes off or turn, you know, go to sleep, it has to be much more reliable in terms of making the decisions. Uh, otherwise, it just you'll never be able to do that. And how often are these maps updating? The update of maps is a, currently a very big problem. And this is one of the big problems in mapping. In normal Google Maps and uh, other mapping companies, you know, you get updates happening on several month basis to a year basis. So that, that doesn't work. So for for HD maps, it was clear to us that updates was one of the critical problems. And this is one of the things that we designed our approach around. And the uh, conceptually, we feel that the only scalable solution is if the cars that are using the map are also creating and updating the map. So this whole whole idea that you have a, a fleet of mapping vehicles, build the map and then give it to a self-driving car, we don't think really is is where the solution has to be to, to actually get it to be a large scale solution. It will work in small, small scale like this, but not in large scale. So fundamentally, if you have cars running around that can map and then update the map, the question is, how quickly can you do this? And we can do this in order of minutes. So the goal is to get it down to order seconds where a change is detected and then the map is updated and, and communicated to the world. So that conceptually, if you're driving around in a self-driving car, if there's a change in the road, the first car that comes to that will detect the change and adjust its behavior. But the, the cars coming behind it should not have that problem. They should be just going through as if nothing, you know, they'll know exactly what to do. They, they won't have to like sit and uh, go into fallback behaviors and things like this. Asking questions about the world is a common trend of every single interview we've had. What are some of the most interesting questions that you've seen posed to us throughout this course of this podcast? I'm always intrigued when people are bringing these technologies and asking us, you know, how are you adapting to the change? How are you incorporating these technologies? How are you looking at these technologies to be incorporated into the future of mobility? Because from an SAE perspective, we're 115 years old. We are often maybe misperceived based on our history as not advanced, but we are constantly looking at what's next, what the future holds. And I, you know, I think the questions that are being asked of us by these organizations, including many of the ones that, that we've uh, interviewed here throughout this year on the podcast, are how is technology being looked at from a standardization, from a uh, organizational standpoint? And, and, and the answer I think from our perspective really is we want to have these people involved. We know their importance to the industry and that's why we're keeping their voices and making their voices heard on, on our podcast and, and through our events and, and everything else that we do. I'll sum it up this way. SAE's enabling the future. 
without standards, there is no autonomous vehicle. Without standards, there is no electrical charging infrastructure. SAE plays the vital critical role behind the scenes, very similar to what we're going to hear from Rob Grant from Cruise in the, in the charging infrastructure. It's the vital component that's not a, not above, not a, not in front of the camera, but behind the camera. Without it, the camera doesn't function. Without SAE, industry doesn't function. Without SAE, millions of individuals, billions of individuals around the world do not drive a vehicle. And I want to point out that SAE has an incredible diverse roster of committees that are mostly volunteers that are allowing this technology to get standardized and scale. For our listeners who might not be familiar with the incredible work that the committees do, Justin, would you please kindly share some insight into those committees? Yeah, the, the committees um, within SAE, I mean, it touches every bit of the mobility space. And, and it's really, as you said, a, a very diverse group all volunteers, which is what's so amazing, is that these are individuals that have full-time jobs. They're experts in their field, and they are dedicating their time, their resources back to the industry to make sure that the world we live in is better, faster, safer, more efficient. Um, and it, it's really just a, such a, you know, you really have to commend these people for 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 dedicating that time and, and energy to to giving back to uh, the industry that they love. They they love, and you as you heard it with Brian, has this genuine love for this technology and his voice. And throughout these conversations out the year, there, there's been a common trend that stood above everything is humbleness. The individuals that have come on the podcast that are building this incredible technology that's going to have a positive impact on society have been humble, extremely humble. What have you seen from your purview? Has there been a pretty good humbleness of the people that you interact with throughout SAE? And because the individuals that I interact with, it seems like there's a true dedication and a love to the mission of standardizing and doing good by society. Yeah, what's what's so fascinating is the stories, and and you've been able to uncover so many great stories within these individuals on what sparked them into this field. You know, were they did they have a parent who had an accident that really want made them want to get into autonomous uh you know pushing forward autonomous vehicles or did they have uh, just a love for the space program as a child just different things that really sparked them as they grew up and and it was just so it's so interesting to to hear all these stories and you can really see the roots uh in their background and and what made them who they are today and it's it's still with them they haven't outgrown that that kind of childhood love of uh you know going from one place to the other uh you know seeing a car or a truck or a plane uh it's just it's just so great to see that that these the people that are that are making these technologies love them as a child uh, or you know had a had a particular incident in their life that really you know had that light bulb moment and that still sticks with them to this very day and and you know, I think you can attest as well. You see them really wanting to give back, supporting others who, as they, you know, are coming up in the industry, see, recognizing, hey, I, I kind of see a little bit of me and you, and I want to make sure that you're able to do the next thing, and I want to give you a little bit of love for that. And and that's what I think is so fascinating to see. That's awesome. And um, we've, we've found the common trend of the family business where Callum's father was in the paint business. And he did not want to go into that. So why end up in the family business? And the same thing when we had the CEO of Elodine on, he went into the family business. It's really interesting how the childhood is connected to this. And throughout all the interviews, there's 
been a love of learning and they've never lost that love of learning. And as we've heard on this recap episode, the individuals that we've spoken with have an, an immense love of learning. They want to do good in society and they want to help build the world of tomorrow. So Justin Falls, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your incredible insights for our second recap episode. Thank you. Looking forward to uh, what 2021 has for us. And I'm so glad we were able to get everything we were able to accomplish in 2020. And 2021 is going to be a great, great year. So thank you so much, Justin. Thanks. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to tune in next week to hear our final installment of our 2020 recap series. During this special episode, Justin False and I will be taking a look into the future, discussing how mobility is taking flight with aerospace innovation. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.